school. We are um, going on to our, our next uh, message today, the Ninth Commandment. It's been a series about the, the Law, the Ten Commandments. and um, I, If you remember from the very beginning, we talked about the Law being like a mirror that we look into and it shows us our sin. It shows us our guilt so that we need God. Not to shame us, not to condemn us, but to show us that we need to come to God and repent and ask for forgiveness and lean on Him. And, it's, and so, saying that, I realize that these messages are not always easy to hear because guess what? Your flesh doesn't want to hear these things. And as I was reflecting on today's message, I thought, how many of you have ever taken a child kicking and screaming and yelling to the dentist or to the doctors? And you know they needed it, but they didn't want to go. Or maybe you took a pet, a cat or a dog to the vet and they're squirreling all over your arms and you know they don't want to go, but you know they need it. I would say that's a very good analogy for what our flesh responds to hearing messages from the, from the Word of God. Our flesh does not want to hear this because our flesh does not want to change. And so it's natural to feel uncomfortable in the flesh, but if we learn to submit to God and let God do the changing, then our fleshly desires die so that the Spirit of God in us can rise up again. So I want to thank you for your steadfastness in coming um, to seek God, to seek His presence, to encourage one another, and to press into His Word. The Ninth Commandment. If there was ever a message for today, this is it. One look at the political and societal scene shows just how much people are transgressing this law on a daily basis. Lies, misrepresentations, conspiracy theories, unproven accusations, gossip, rumors, false characterizations, and unrestrained talk to induce fear, judgment, and hatred have sadly become the voice of way too many people, including many Christians today. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The ninth commandment is directed at our speech, which too many Christians have taken for granted. But unless you see the gift of speech as a privilege, instead of just a right that everyone has, you will never realize that with such great power with the tongue comes even greater responsibility. Specifically, this commandment warns against purposely betraying another in order to benefit ourselves or to punish others. Right now in our country, as you know, we are dealing with undisciplined talk in the political realm. But it could get much, much worse if we don't repent and turn to God. In the world today, we see the power that false accusations have against people of faith, where Christians are in the minority. In these nations, all it takes to legally punish and jail or beat or execute a Christian is to simply bring an accusation against him or her. Whether it is true or not has no bearing on the outcome of the matter, for the accuser's word is treated as truth, while the Christian's word is often worth nothing. What a sad and perverted world we live in. And if you think that this stuff only happens in third world countries, 
then you're sadly mistaken. In fact, the shameful history of the United States includes many false accusations that sent thousands of people to their death, even at the hands of those who claimed to be followers of God. In 1692 and 1693, in the colony of Massachusetts, the Salem witch trials came into prominence. Over 200 people, mostly women, were accused of practicing witchcraft, and over 20 of them were executed or died in jail. Part of the reason that the witch trials gained momentum was because the town of Salem had been overrun from refugees and others due to persecution and war. The townspeople, most of whom were religious folks, felt threatened by the newcomers' presence, and consequently, they were easy targets for false accusations. While there was evidence that the first case indeed had some influence of witchcraft, what soon happened was that the people of the village of Salem figured out that they could get revenge on people they didn't like by merely bringing an accusation, a false accusation, against them. In one case, a man wanted to acquire the land next to his property, but he was turned down by the woman who had it ceded to her from her deceased husband. Therefore, the greedy neighbor brought a false accusation of witchcraft against her so that he could take the land, which he did. Eventually, the Salem witch trials were declared unjust, and the paranoia of injustice stopped, but not before leaving an indelible mark on the town of Salem, which still remains to this day. Throughout the late 19th century, racial tension grew throughout the United States. In the South, people were blaming their financial problems on the newly freed slaves that lived around them. Lynchings were becoming a response to some of the anger that whites had against freed blacks. From 1882 to 1968, nearly 5,000 lynchings occurred in the United States. Many of the lynchings were racially motivated and based on people bearing false witness to prevent the freed slaves from having too much power. False accusations often spring from a perverted desire to use lies to redirect attention or power either towards or away from others. Bearing false witness against anyone is one of the darkest sins in the history of the world. Jeremiah 17.9, this is God's word, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is why it is one of the Ten Commandments. God knew the propensity of man's heart, which is inherently evil. Yet as we go deeper into the study of this precept, we see that the root of our problem is more of a choice of betraying another person, but rather betraying God by giving more power to our tongue than to the Spirit of God living in us. Too often we give more power to our tongue, whether we realize it or not. The book of James, the New Testament of uh, the, the Proverbs of the New Testament has a whole chapter, chapter three, devoted to the tongue and its dangers. James chapter three, verse two, tells us, "For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body." Anybody perfect out there? I know I'm not. And many times the reason why we're not perfect is because of our tongue. 
the words we say, the words that come out of our mouth, undisciplined talk. The one thing that continues to get in our way is our tongue, our words, our speech. The problem is that our tongue is too willing to be a servant of the mind, which often reacts out of emotion and hurts, instead of filtering reason and truth through discipline and the Spirit of God. James 3, verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Verse 4. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. If a bit can turn a powerful horse, and a small rudder can change the direction of an entire ship, we must never underestimate the power that the tongue holds and the amount of destruction that it invites when it's not kept in check. James 3, verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. My guess is that we all know from personal experience how destructive words can be in destroying someone's life. We've been on the receiving end as well as the giving end at one time or another with destructive words and attitudes either directed at others or even ourselves. And once those words are out there, they can never be put, be put back. A young girl was once given penance by a minister to deal with her undisciplined speech. She was told to go into the field and blow a thistle seed into the air. After doing so, the minister explained that just as she could never find all those thistle seeds that have traveled across the meadow, she could never pull back all the hurtful words that once they have flown. Unfortunately, we too often think of our need to blow off steam or to speak our mind instead of weighing the consequences of undisciplined talk. Indeed, how great a forest fire a little flame kindles. James 3.6 And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set amongst our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Those are strong words. Those are in the New Testament. Many times people say, that's, that's all Old Testament stuff, the fear of God, that's the Old Testament. This is, this is in the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be aware of that and, and take these words to heart so that we can continue to become more like God. Could the Word of God be any clearer? An undisciplined tongue defiles the whole body and is set on fire by hell. So why are we so thick-headed to think that our words are not that big of a deal? Why can't I just say this? Why can't I just speak my mind? Why can't I just type this on social media? Why can't I just agree to this conversation? Why do we think that we can control our speech in our own power? Why do we underestimate the power of the tongue. Psalm 12, verses 1 and 2. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. The decline of the faithful is directly connected to undisciplined talk. Idle words, flattering lips, and a double heart which betrays any one of its choosing 
all contribute to the downfall of godly men, women, and children. You wonder why we're not seeing the witness in the, in the world as strong as it should be? It's because of undisciplined talk. Yet instead of retaining the fear of the Lord to keep the heart in check, pride takes over and keeps a wayward soul heading down the path of destruction. Verses 3 and 4. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? You see, that's the flesh that's speaking, is that you can fight every battle that you have by just your words or by your argument, but we don't realize the power of destruction that's in our tongue if we don't keep it in check. Pride will always tell you that you can control sin and manage temptation in your own strength, but this is simply not so. If you do not submit to the Lord in everything, including your thoughts and your words, and daily come to Him in repentance asking forgiveness, and seeking the healing of His power-infused Word, then you will be overcome by evil. We saw even the apostles succumb to that. We must not ever underestimate the power of our words, but not just hurting words. There are also consequences for idle words spoken as well. How many of you are familiar with this verse? Matthew 12, verse 36. But I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. See, many times we think about, I, I need to give account of my sins, but this, the gospel says right here, for every idle word you speak. Certainly this warning from Jesus begs the question, what are idle words? In the Greek, the word idle means free from labor or lazy, or shunning the labor which one ought to perform. You see, our words are given to us to build. At the beginning of time, as we know, God built the observable world around us through His spoken word. We have the power to build an atmosphere of love and peace and hope by speaking words of encouragement, by sharing the truth of God's word, and being thankful in all things. In doing so, we build a stronger relationship with God and with others through our words. However, there are times when we just make idle comments just to talk. Is that a sin? Not necessarily. But for every idle word that does not build up others or the kingdom of God, we will have to give an account of it on the day of judgment. Do you understand that? Every idle word. That's what Jesus said. How faithful have you been to use every one of your words to build up others, to build your relationship with God? If you take an honest look at your heart, your mouth, and your words, you will no doubt find that you are guilty. We are all guilty before God. But the question is, what will you do with your guilt? Will you blow it off and say, everyone does it? Will you say it's just too much to bring every word into check? Let me ask you, is it easier to discipline our words or our thoughts? Because the Word of God demands even more than for the battlefield of our minds. And 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, 
so as to bring every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. Of course, it's only a battle if we're still willing to fight. Unfortunately, many people have lost the fight in themselves and continued to battle against the flesh. What am I saying is many pulpits are afraid of messages like this because they think that might drive people away. They're afraid to speak truth because they might offend somebody. Guess what? The Word of God has to offend the flesh, else the flesh will never change. The difference is that our messages end with hope. Our messages end with Jesus. But our flesh has to die so we can give that to God and receive His hope and redemption and restoration in exchange. It's a choice that all of us must make. To keep fighting or to join the crowd? Will you stand for Christ in a world that stands against Him, even if it means that you will be persecuted for your stance and for the words you speak? Matthew 12, 37. It's our memory verse for today. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There is power in our words to hurt and destroy. But there is also power in our words to spread truth, to break strongholds, to confess our wrongs, and to call upon the Lord. Will you stay silent and deny the calling of God? Or will you speak out and be justified by the truth of His Word? We have been given great power through His Word and in our words to confess our faith in God. In fact, Paul elaborates on this truth. It goes to the foundation of our faith. Romans 10, verse 9, says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. Amen? Verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you see the privilege and the responsibility that we have with our mouths? to confess our belief in Jesus Christ. It is through our mouths that either blessings or curses go. It is through our words that either truth or lies make their way. The tongue is a powerful tool. James 3, verse 9. With it, speaking of the tongue, with it we bless God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. James pleads with us to respect the gift of speech and the power of the tongue. And I know some people say, but they deserve it, but they're being mean, but they're evil. But Jesus said we are to pray for our enemies and to love our enemies. We're not going to change it by our words, we're going to change it by prayer. How dare we think that we have greater a possibility to change than God? Yes, there are people that speak evil. There will continue to be people that speak evil. Jesus tells us to pray for them, to love them. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? We must choose to bless others. James says it. We must choose to bless others and, and choose to love and forgive. If we do nothing, our flesh will dictate our words. This should not be so. 
It's not that it's impossible to bless and to curse from the same mouth because people do it all the time. What James is saying is that if we curse from the same mouth from which blessings and praises flow, then our hearts are not right with God. You may think that you're cursing or complaining or judging or lies are only restricted to the time in, in which you are engaging in these activities. Conversely, you may even think that your praises and blessings are not affected when you move past your venting. However, I would tell you that a car traveling down a road where mud has once been flung can still be affected by its residue. In other words, cursing and undisciplined talk are not isolated events. They infect all of our words and our thoughts and our attitudes. It's amazing how quickly advancing the sin of lying has not only affected us as individuals, but how it's also the basis of politics. It's the accepted norm of Hollywood. It's often the preferred way to communicate in much of today's culture. Now, there are lies that are told for laughs. There are lies that are told for another's benefit or advantage. There are also lies that are devised on purpose to hurt others. And regardless of what your mind may tell you to justify your type of lie into harmless or serious categories, a lie is a lie, just as a sin is a sin. Of course, there are other ways that the ninth commandment is broken in the spirit of the law, besides lying. It's violated when one slanders another and spreads falsities to discredit another. Having gone through one of the most vile and negative and ugly political campaigns in history, we have all become too accustomed to this filth in society. Another violation of our speech, of our speech is flattery either boasting on ourselves or purposely attempting to flatter others with the hopes of manipulating them for your benefit. Of course, the truth can be manipulated in a variety of ways. Misrepresentations, insinuations, and rumor-mongering through tail-bearing are not only violations of truth, but incredibly destructive to those who are being talked about. Anybody getting uncomfortable yet? Guess what? The law is trying to get us to be guilty so that we can depend on Jesus. This is not a message of condemnation. This is to show us that if, if, if God's coming through once in a, in a once trip, and He's saying, I'm going to grant forgiveness to everyone, if you're, if you're guilty, then admit it. We're all guilty. But what if, what if God comes through and He says, here's your chance, and you say, it's not me, talk about somebody else, then you lose that chance to repent. There's been stories in the Bible where, where it says that that person was no longer able to repent. So when this comes up and it makes our flesh uncomfortable, yes, it's uncomfortable, but man, our spirit's saying, I want to live. And so if you feel convicted, you don't have to announce it, but just confess it to God so God can forgive you and heal you and make you become more like Him. Equally as damaging to one's reputation and credibility is the use of detraction which proceeds when an accuser is unable to find anything wrong in the opinions or actions of another. And therefore, to attack an innocent victim, they start to attribute good deeds to doubtful motives, such as, I'm sure the only reason he came here was to this event, was to rack up some points and to praise himself. Everything he does is for himself. He's so selfish. 
See, the thoughts of, I can't prove anything, but I'm going to make a doubtful, I'm going to doubt his motivation. That's bearing false witness against your neighbor. Whether these thoughts stay in the form of judgment in one's mind, or if they're spread through insinuation and whispers, it makes no difference. Sin has been birthed. Misrepresentations, rumors, careless whispers, and the like are all forms that violate the ninth commandment. Probably the most dangerous thing about the sin of lying is that too many Christians underestimate the severity and repercussions to themselves because of their lies and the perversion of their tongues. But don't merely take my word for it. How does God classify the liar? You may be surprised. Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Did you catch that? Here comes a list of things that God hates. Regardless of what some people would tell you, what God can't hate, He's love. You would serve yourself well to take His word for it instead of the word of others. These are six things that He hates and are considered an abomination to Him. Proverbs 6, verse 17 through 19. God hates a proud look. He hates a lying tongue. He hates hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. He hates a false witness who speaks lies. And he hates one who sows discord amongst the brethren. One who constantly has to gossip or share or backbite or go around and share things with the sole purpose of bringing destruction instead of seeking healing. If you are completely honest with yourself and God, and to tell the truth, I don't know why you wouldn't be, then how many of you have ever had a lying tongue, devised plans to hurt or offend others, spoken lies in any form, or spread gossip which encouraged distrust or anger or discord amongst the body of Christ? How does God view liars? And what is His punishment for them? Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do you see that? Surrounded by abominable unbelievers and mockers of our faith, Murders, rapists, witches, and sorcerers, and all liars. And the same consequence is given to all to be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Why such a strong consequence? Could it be that it began in the Garden of Eden, where the lying tongue of Satan set the stage for the tragic fall of mankind? In the Garden of Eden, Satan bore false witness against God by telling Eve that she would not die if she ate of the forbidden fruit. Everyone, therefore, who lies or slanders or speaks evil of his neighbor is becoming in one way like Satan. God wants to root that out, whether you realize it's there or not. And you're not going to be perfect, but if you admit that it's there, then God forgives you. You're not going to be able to do it in your own strength, but if you admit that you've succumbed at times or you're tempted at times, then God forgives you. 
And He wipes your slate clean. And He restores you. And He makes you become more and more like Him each day if you're willing to continue the fight. What good is it to think that you have changed your eternal destination, but because you continue to be led by your sinful desires, you've merely made yourself content in your sin and you've removed the fear of God in your life? When we neglect to pursue God on our own and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, when we ignore the importance of our own studies in God's Word and take the word of mere men and women to tell us what the Bible says, when we do not invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate truth to us, we are susceptible to false teaching and we succumb to the dictates of the flesh. You heard the announcement today that we have Bible studies. Men and women, we do them online as well. If you've never done that before, if you're afraid to participate because maybe you don't have the right questions or maybe you don't know as much, all you got to do is just listen. We invite you, if you're interested in all and learning and growing in God with the Word of God, no matter where you're at, to please join us. We have great, great times. Do we not, Larry? Every single week. Every single week we love encouraging one another. We know that we all mess up and we all have questions. But if you want to take that next step to pursue God and study God, then we invite you. We have opportunities here. We invite you to come. See any one of us for more details. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's an act of choice that we all must make to pursue God and to live according to His Spirit. Verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Verse 8, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Your flesh will never submit to God because it would have to die in order to do so. So that when you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. You cannot please God in your own strength. But understand that the flesh is very wise and will often manifest itself and its desires in ways that look pure, in ways that seem righteous. But if your pride is not willing to be thoroughly examined, if you're not willing to admit that you're wrong and in sin, if you're quick to blame others and feel that you're too strong to succumb to sin, then you've been duped by your flesh. The worst thing you can do is to be content in your present state and begin to think and act like you are safe. The best thing that you can do is to be honest with God and to acknowledge that you have sinned and to repent and ask forgiveness. And then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life worthy of Christ's sacrifice for you. Coming to the Lord through heartfelt repentance and receiving His miraculous gift of grace to be your constant companion each and every day gives you access to the greatest gift on this side of heaven. God's Holy Spirit promises to come live on the inside of each and every one of you to assure you and to encourage you and to cleanse you and to heal you and to pump you up and to make you more and more like Jesus every single day. Romans 8.11 But if the Spirit of Him 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's the Holy Spirit. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Listen, this is, this is how Christianity is different than any other religion. Because God comes and lives purposely inside of us. We can't clean ourselves up enough to be in His presence. But because we accept the sacrifice of Jesus' death for us, He says, I'm going to come live inside of you. I'm going to love you exactly where you're at, but I'm also going to love you to change, to become more like Jesus. It's a miracle. You cannot overcome sin on your own, but if you die to yourself and submit to the Lord, then He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to you to overcome and to keep fighting the good fight. It is by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the overcoming power of God's Word that you will be able to replace what the enemy has stolen from you. Whether it is out of weakness or fatigue or sin or offense, many have succumbed to the lies of the devil and began believing the devil's assessment of who we are. When this happens, we bear false witness against ourselves, denying what God says about us, even after we have been purchased with the blood of Christ. How about you? In what areas do you still feel defeated, inadequate, condemned, unloved, or unworthy? You have a choice. You can believe the lies about you and others that the enemy continues to speak against you, or you can choose to believe God at His Word and what He has already spoken about you. So what does God's Word say about you? Let me tell you a few things that God's Word says about you. You choose whether you want to agree with His Word or what the enemy says about you. God's Word says this, I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am strong in the Lord. I am more than a conqueror. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I am complete in Him. I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I am refreshed by God's presence. I am being changed into His image by the Spirit of the Lord. Determine to no longer bear false witness against yourself or anyone else. Choose to believe all that God has already spoken about you. He loves you. He desires you. And stay faithful to His Word, His Spirit, and His love. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You do not condemn us, Lord God, but You invite us to come near, to confess our sins to You, to be refreshed and forgiven and restored. Lord God, we lean on Your grace and we need Your grace to accept ourselves and to accept where we are in the family of God. Help us to love one another. Help us to forgive one another. Help us to pursue good things as we pursue You. Help us to discipline our tongue. Help us to not have idle words that tear down. Help us to understand the power of the tongue to build, to build an atmosphere of love, of peace. No matter what the world is trying to do, we understand the power that we have. May you bless us as we turn to you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.